Okay, he's 47 years old now. He got locked up when he was 15 years old, Jessa. He's been locked up in, in jail or prison over 32 years. Wow. His name is Daniel, and he's about to take his driving test, and he's a pretty cool guy and has a great family. Come on, let's do background check. Let's go! Have you or someone you know had your life turned upside down because of your past? Of course I have. Everyone does background checks now, which makes it hard to bounce back. What do you believe? I believe your background shouldn't hold you back. It, sh- it should pay you back. This podcast will inspire you, motivate you, and inform you with everything you need to rise above your past and, and not be afraid to say, go, go ahead, check my background. My name is Jaden Gum, and this is is background check. You already know. Let's go. You can check my background. I'm a forgiving felon, so tell them that I won't back down. now. You can bet I won't live in regret. It's time to earn some respect. You are tuning in to background check. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Background Check Podcast, brought to you by Forgiven Felons, helping people with the past realize their, their future. future. I'm your host, Jaden Gum, and today is a special edition of North Texas Giving Day version of Background Check Podcast. So I have a special guest host with me. And what is your name? My name is Jessalyn Gum. I actually have a podcast too, but we have to wait till it's... Yeah, we have to wait till the virus is over. All right, so uh, today's episode is all about Daniel... North. No. (laughs) Today's episode is all about Daniel Lindsay... The, what we're doing now is talking about why forgiven felons exist. And Daniel Lindsay's testimony is the reason why we exist. But we need to talk about North Texas Giving Day before we get to Daniel Lindsay's uh, testimony. Okay? So what do you know about North Texas Giving Day? I know that it's a fun night, actually. Yeah, but it's not just at night, right? It no. It goes all day, even when y'all are in school. People start giving at 6 o'clock in the morning. So on that day, Daddy wakes up early and starts putting stuff on Facebook, Instagram, trying to get people to give. And one of the things about North Texas Giving Day is all these community foundations of Texas get together and they pull all their prize money and they give prizes throughout the day to organizations like us. And one of the prizes is... A car. Well, that's the prize that Forgiven Felons is giving away. That's not the prize that North Texas Giving Day is giving yeah, away. Yeah, but it is a prize. It is a prize. But one of the prizes that the Community Foundation of Texas, who puts on North Texas Giving Day, one of the prizes they give is every hour they draw from all the organizations that got a donation that hour, and you have a chance to win $1,000. So they give away $1,000. Some hours, they give away 2000 So it's important for somebody to give to Forgiven Felons every hour. That way we get the opportunity to win a prize every hour. And there's also these little personal many fundraisers. Yes, and those are called FUN, F-U-N, fundraisers. And so tell, tell me what that is. It is where you go online, you make a fundraiser, and you... You get, you get a special link, okay? And that special link gives you the right to, the ability to post on your social media uh, your own fundraiser. But it's for forgiven felons. 
Yeah, so people give money and give money. I'm doing bus passes again because we need bus passes. Right. So your fundraiser is all about raising money for bus passes for forgiven felons when they get out of prison. Okay. Um, mine is just, a you know, Shannon and Mike both have one. Uh, Daniel has one. And so they're just raising money in general. They're not raising for something specific, which is fine, too. You could raise for something specific, or you can just raise money. What's your goal going to be this year? 2000. Oh, that's a good goal. That's a good goal. So you need to help Jessalyn reach her goal. Uh, we'll be posting hers. Um, you, you should be able to see it once this podcast airs. So this podcast should be airing September 11th. So that's next Friday. This is coming Friday. Uh, so if you're listening to this today, it's September 11th. And we are about six days out from North Texas Giving Day. And we are going to give away a car that night. We're not going to tell who it's for but it is for somebody in the community uh, that needs a vehicle. And so we're excited about that. So at the rally, okay, now all day, people are going to be given and given and given. Uh, we're going to go, I'm going to be sharing video testimonies all day of people. And then at the rally that night, we're going to have Moe's Italia Express. So much fun. So uh, Moe's Italia Express, we're going to have a chicken Alfredo, pasta, salad, and garlic knots. And then we're going to have uh, my friend Terry Fancher is going to be playing uh, rock and roll, Amazing Grace. He's going to be playing everything. And then in between songs, in between each song, a song is going to end, and then we're going to call a forgiven felon up. And he's going to share his story for about five minutes. And maybe we can call you up and have you share your story. What do you think? Mm-hmm. But one of my favorite parts of Mark's Heaven's Giving Day it's giving away t-shirts. Uh, yes, we're going to give away t-shirts that night as well. It's going to be so much fun. We're going to give away, uh, we may have some more prizes, but we don't know yet. Uh, wristbands. Wristbands. If somebody, What if somebody wants to give us a prize to give away, what should they do? Should they call us and say, hey, we want to donate an iPad to give away? We or, did that last year, We actually. did that, I know. Some people gave an iPad. If somebody says, hey, I want to donate a TV as a door prize to give away. And when they do that, when companies do that, we will give them shout-outs. Like the car that we're giving away, Bruce and Camilla Binkley with Express Personnel, uh, Express Employment Services, uh, Express Employment Professionals, I think is the way it words, uh, gave us a car. And, and that's the car we're going to be giving away. So shout-out to Bruce and Camilla and all the staff over at uh, Express Employment Professionals. If you are looking for a job in the... Uh, Ellis County area, South Dallas, Johnson County, they are the ones to go see. So, But anybody can get the prize. Right. Not the car. The yeah. car is given away to somebody. But, but anybody uh, can get like an iPad, the TV. No, we don't have those. Yeah. But, but we did have those. If somebody wants to donate those for us to give away, we don't mind doing that. But whatever prizes we have, we're going to give away. If it's yeah. just T-shirts, then we're going to give away T-shirts or wristbands. Anybody can get them. Are doing the ticket thing. Yeah, we'll do. We'll hand out tickets. But right. anybody can get them. That's right. That's if they right. have that ticket. What, what other uh, information do you think the people need to know? We're staying up late. <laughs> well, the party, the rally ends at 9, so we'll have to leave Forgiven Felons at 9 because uh, those guys have to get up and go to work early. But when we come home... Um, it's a school night, but you do get to stay up later than you normally do, but you'll have to go to bed as soon as you get home. Sorry. So that means bringing our pajamas? <laughs> maybe. Oh. Maybe. 
So um, we're we're excited about North Texas Giving Day, and uh, and also again, this this show is brought to you by Forgiven Felons. So if you want to know more information about Forgiven Felons, you go to our website, forgivenfelons.org. And if somebody has a loved one in prison that needs a place to go, what do they do? Call us. Call us. But one of the other things I want you to know is this is how much my dad loves Forgiven Felons. Every single one of his teachers, except for his Patriot teacher, have the name Forgiven Felons on it. That's right. That, that's I don't need another T-shirt with Forgiven Felons on it, do I? Yes, you do. I do. I need a lot of them. You have too many. <laughs> you never have too many T-shirts. Forgiven Felons, and, and then background check. What this podcast, what the podcast is all about, is having people on to share their story or share information that has to do with incarceration, life after incarceration. Uh, anything that has to do with the background check. We had Senator Carl Sherman on. We had Dave's Dave Killer, Killer Brad. Brad. We had him on last week, That's Dave Dahl. Uh, that was a good one. He gave you a shout-out. So he they tried to do it one time, and then they had to do it another time, and then another time. Yeah, he kept and rescheduling. And then the fourth time, they actually did it. So he kept rescheduling. I think yeah. it was the sixth, actually. Oh, I don't know. I, mean, I think it was like the third. No, the <laughs> sixth. <laughs> All right, so uh, why should people give to forgiven felons? Because it's not good. It's not good? <laughs> it is good. It is good. It is good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you've got to see firsthand some of our guys come through, and you've become good friends with them. Who are some of the your favorite forgiven felons? Shannon. Shannon. <laughs> and Mike. And Mike. Michael Pugh, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about Leonard? Yeah, Leonard was, was a good one, too, huh? one. So is there anything else that we need to know that's important about North Texas Giving Day? They're going to they're gonna come. They're going to hear music. They're going to get fed. There, there could be some prizes. We're going to give away a car. There's going to be uh, music. Did I already say music? Yeah, uh, that's and then the first one. And then there's going to be testimony. Um, what else do they need to know about that night? Oh, what are we raising money for? Um, we're raising money for the Resource Center. That's right. What all does the Resource Center have in it? Show them where the welding shop is. Um, it's right yeah, here. and what about the automotive? Right there. Yeah, yeah, we're going to work on... And the restroom's right here, right here, and right here. This is the workout room. Yeah. Why do we need a workout room? Because people some... are going to be staying there almost all day. <laughs> and then we have a little small warehouse space over there for us to train people on uh, warehouse equipment. It's right. All the way to the left. All the way to the left. That's our, that's our recovery classrooms right yeah. there. But so, this is where they're going to figure out where to get the jobs. Yeah, job readiness room. Absolutely. And All right. this is the managed reception desk. And so this, uh, this, this resource center is going to cost a lot of money, probably a couple million dollars. And so we're going to need a lot of help, a lot of capital. We're trying to raise a down payment, uh, like $50,000. And we're trying to uh, figure out how to get the at least the welding class going. So before we get... Uh, and after school, I want to be able to go in Daddy's office. Yeah. And so this this will also allow us to have more volunteers, more teachers, more. more and, f- and we'll serve. Maybe more guys. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll serve not just the guys in our house. These will be for anybody, guys or girls. So we got to get to Daniel's testimony. Are you ready? I don't have you know met nothing da- about have, him. Have you met Daniel yet at church? No. Um, they're, they're usually already gone before you get out of. But yeah. Dan- Daniel's a really neat guy. He's. He's uh, almost daddy's age, but he was he was in prison for 32 years. Daddy was only in prison for three years. Nice. So, 
and he's doing great now. He's serving the Lord, and he's got a great story. So you ready to hear it? Yeah, let's do a background check. Daniel, welcome to Background Check Podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. This is probably not the first background check that you're going to have to do in your life after prison. Oh, amen. <laughs> but this is going to be the most uh, fun and uh, God-glorifying background check you'll ever have to do. Kind of like. <laughs> well, man, Daniel, all right. So I'm just going to give a little backstory first to everybody listening. You came to us on June 30th. Right? Yes, sir. That was your first day. We'll talk about that in a minute. birthday. (laughs) And then I found out about you from from your sister, Melody. But she found out about us from your niece, right? What's your niece's name? Uh, Samantha. Samantha. Samantha had actually called another reentry organization that doesn't have housing called The Way Back. They're actually uh, on episode, I think, 13. Right. And then Katie... From the way back, uh-huh. called me. Right. Uh, or did she didn't call me? She gave Samantha the number. Our number, and then I guess Samantha gave Melody the number. Because after that, I mean, right. I didn't really talk to Samantha at all. I don't think. I think I just right. always talked with Melody. And your sister has an amazing testimony as well. You think we can get her on the podcast right. one day? Uh, it's going to be kind of hard, but I mean, it would be it'd be a testimony. She's kind of a private person. Yeah, I yeah. Did. God, man, her, her testimony. She said, she said, I don't even, this is the first time we talked, me, me and your sister. Right. And she's like, I can't believe I'm telling you my story, but I just feel like you're somebody that I can open up with and share my story. And I'm so glad she did because I was, I was, I was blown away. I, mean, uh, she's, she's like I was my, encouraged by her testimony. She's like my inspiration. All right, so tell everybody, Daniel's been in our house since June 30th, and, you know, he's already got a job. Yes, sir. And he's got, he's, he's on his way, uh, doesn't have a car yet, but, you know, saving up for that, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And then, uh, but you are about to get your license, yes, right? September we're 11th. Open. I'm going on, I'm taking you on September 11th, and, um, and, and we're going to let you drive our car and uh, take the test in, all okay. right? So, because you need a car to take the test in, right? Yes, you don't want to take the test in our big ministry van because it's, <laughs> it's crazy learning how to drive that thing. But so just, man, tell us, uh, let's start with your childhood, man. What was it like growing up? Sisters, brothers, mom, dad? I was uh, born in Orlando and my family came to Texas. My mother had married uh, a lawyer at that time. His name is Fred. And uh, we grew up in the Rio Grande Valley. And if it, a lot of people don't know about the Rio Grande Valley. It's a migrant community. A lot of Hispanics, so there was only like three white people there. Me, my brother, and the other guy got homeschooled. So it was like we went through a lot of violence, a lot of being picked on, and stuff like that. Going to school, uh, my mother was an alcoholic, and my father was a workaholic. So you know, we kind of, me and my brother, kind of survived on our own. And there was like some embarrassing times, just you know, for my mother's alcoholism coming home to it. And uh, she tried to hide it as much as she can. But I mean, I loved her to death. She was a mother. And my father, he was a very, uh, he was my stepdad. He uh, he was a very loving dad and he did stuff with the family. And my real father, he's more of a, he moves around a lot and uh, he uh, has a lot of children everywhere and he wasn't really cohesive with, with his children. So you didn't have a relationship with him? No, I didn't have a relationship. I basically grew up with my older brother. And um, at that time, I think in the early 80s, going up in the 80s, uh, I was into, you know, athletic sports, basketball, football. There was a time when, uh, you know, I got jumped on in the valley 
And um, how old were you then? Oh, I was maybe 13. And uh, got jumped on the valley and, and got stabbed and wound up, uh, my mom, I think Best Suitors shot me to Houston to go live with my Aunt, my Aunt Janice. And I, and I lived with my Aunt Janice and she was like a mother to me. And, and uh, she was, she, I just got reunited with her this weekend, first time I hugged her this I got I mean, the videos on my face page, but um, it was just amazing. She was an amazing woman. She was very family oriented. And she had a- How old were you when you got sent to her? I was probably basically between the age of 13. And uh, so you didn't get to spend much time with them. No, I didn't. Because you got into trouble right, around, uh, right. around that time too, right? Right, I got in trouble around that time. And, and uh, she has three, three daughters and a son, which all I take into me as my sister and my brother, you know, and uh, I love them to death. And she, you know, every family has issues and they had issues, but I still inherit to it. But I was at a rebellious stage because of what I've been through and not being at home, being around my brother, being around my mother and stuff like that. And uh, it was kind of like, and it was an adjustment, adjusting to a, it's, even though they're family, but it's like taking me out of a place that I lived in and put me somewhere else, trying to adapt to a different set of loving and nourishing environment that I, I like the love that I've never got. Yeah. So I was kind of taking, pushed people away a little bit. I wouldn't, a real social life. Then I got into skateboarding and I, I basically loved skating. And then I would skate all around Houston. I would skate all, just to get away. And then there was times when I would run away just to get away from the chaotic atmosphere and the responsibility of being a big brother or, or and, and I would call home. I would practically prank call home just to see how they were doing, just to see if, um, you know, if they were all right. And there was times that they did recognize me, like, hey, I know this is you on the other end. And, and I'd hang up the phone. And there was holidays when I knew family would come and I would call them. During my part of running away, I ran into the bad crowd, hanging around different people. Getting... So when you got sent to Houston to live with your aunt, um, so you weren't around your brothers and sisters anymore? No, I wasn't around my brother. I was raised basically by my brother. And I had sisters and brothers that I never knew about. Okay, so like Melody, like where, Melody, where was she during this time? I, I never even met her yet. Okay, gotcha. And, and there was one point in time where uh, they sent me to Florida to live with my real dad. You know, because how old were you there? I was probably basically going on fourteen. So this was after Houston. This was or after Houston. Kind of in the middle. Of yeah, it. Okay. and I, and I went to go live with my dad. And uh, how'd that go? It was real. I still remember going there. I was real kind of like, I didn't want to go because I didn't know, you know what I mean? And this is my real dad. And I finally got shipped off to Florida and went to my real dad. I was going to school, but I wasn't going to school. Yeah. So I would skip school and he found out and he said, well, you know, you're gonna work if you're not gonna go to school. So I started doing a masonry job with him and he would drop me off at different friends' house to go out and party mm -hmm. and meet women and do stuff. And so what did this do to your your emotional well-being, being shipped off, you know, you're shipped off to Houston and shipped off to, what, what, what were you thinking as far as, man, do these people not love me? Or did you realize you were just that much of a handful that people couldn't handle you or they didn't want to handle you, they gave up on you, so they moved you to the next person? What was, I mean, how did you feel during all these, these two years? I mean, it seems like it was just less than two years you got moved around everywhere. I had 
trust issues. That made me have trust issues. Uh, don't get me wrong, I love my Aunt Janice and we had deep conversations about family and there was times when, when I would just, she would like trying to dissect at my feelings of why I reacted and acted the same. And she's a loving person. Um, but to me, it's, I had, it made me have trust issues. I didn't want to trust people of my family and I felt like that I had family and I had relatives and I always separated that them wow. too. And, it, and it's a hard thing to say about family, mm -hmm. but they also have, some of my family has alcoholic problems. Some of them have different mental problems. And it, uh, growing up to that, not knowing that, it's it was like a different to me. It's like, okay, you know, but it was a norm because I was growing up around it. I couldn't stay in a household for long because once I felt like someone was loving me, I got scared. Wow. And so, as for my dad, he he showed up and uh, I went to go live with him and I found out I have another brother who's currently doing really good. He's a realtor in Hawaii. I got to know him and his mom and then him not being there, it just is like, okay, he's not here. This is what I came for, so I ran away again. Okay, so I know from your story that at 15 you went into juvenile, so what did you do? How did you, why did you get sent there? And what was juvenile like? Um, well, I got sent to juvenile. I made bad choices of friends and I got, I wound up in the incident to where somebody, you know, was fatally killed. And, uh, you know, every day I live with that. So this was the, the actual charge you ended up doing time in TDC for. Yes, sir. But you did it, you committed it as a juvenile. Yes, sir. Okay. So you took someone's life at 15? I was 15, sir and they put you in juvenile. What, 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 was, what was going on through your mind about that? And if you want to talk about the, the crime, um, if you don't, that's fine, but. Really it was bad choices of friends. Yeah. And um, you know, I was actually, as you can say, I was involved with it. And in the state of Texas, a lot of people aren't aware that it takes 15 seconds to ruin a life. If I'm with you and you commit a crime and I'm with you and I leave with you, so I committed the crime too. Yep, it's called the party law. Right, the law of parties. And it doesn't matter how old you are, it doesn't matter who you know or whatever. And the law of parties is, uh, you know, anyway, I got. So you were. You, juvenile. So you were convicted based on that law. Yes, sir. So you didn't actually kill the person. No, you sir. were just involved in it. You, yes, were, you were party to it according to the law. Yes, sir. Okay, so now you're a juvenile. Are you scared? I'm in juvenile and I'm certified, I'm, I'm facing certification. When you're facing certification- What is certification? Certification is when you're a young adult that the justice system can take you at any age, well I think they change the age now, but I think it's 14, and they can certify you as an adult. Take you from a juvenile facility at 14, 15, 16, and stick you in an adult jail, and stick you in an adult prison. Yeah, and I've actually gone to minister at some of the uh, units in Texas where they have those 16 year olds and I've actually got to minister to some of them So I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, see now they had the YLP program. Yes, that's what I yeah When I when but I this got wasn't the YLP. They didn't have the YLP when I got certified. It was just that he stick you in with the dogs So a juvenile I got sent up to the fifth floor, which is like older juveniles and uh, Faces certification it was more or less, you know, uh, a young little you know, 
Dougie's floor. Nobody cared. You're yeah. getting certified. Yeah. You're, you got to get ready for penitentiary. So there was a lot of times of fights, lock, lockdowns and fights and people would get hit with chairs and it was just, um, and it was wild. And being in a violent situation like this, I was scared, but I was also on the defense. And um, I had to knew I had to man up. And, yeah. And there was times that you know. So you had to fight. It was juvenile, um, a place that is segregated. I mean, were there gangs at juvenile, or just everybody for themselves? Everybody, basically everybody for themselves, because there's no formation or unity in the juvenile. It's just every little scared kid in there, knowing they're getting certified, and it's just. Uh, want to walk around like they're the biggest, baddest Billy there is. Are there any programs in juvenile that you could take to straighten your life out? No. I mean, at that time, there wasn't. There was maybe just church on Sundays, and that's it. Did yeah. you go to church? Uh, I was actually an altar boy. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, growing up. So, But, uh, I mean, I went to church, but the chaplain that was there would kind of prepare us, and I would have one-on-ones with her all the time, you know, yeah. because, you know. And at that time, I didn't really... Uh, I wasn't walking with God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he was knocking on the door, but I wouldn't answer. So, how are you mentally preparing? I know you're physically preparing because you're manning up, you're fighting if you have to, whatever. But how are you getting ready in your mind, knowing that you you could leave at any time? Man, uh, just listening to like people. What? Because I have to go to the county jail after before this and stand trial. Just listening to people. Of like what you got to do when you get in there if they try to test you hit them in their mouth or do this and do that so it's like that's basically how you can prepare yourself at a, such a young age yeah so you so now you now you're you're TDC oh well what, I went what, to county jail with county jail I went to, how long were you in county jail uh, maybe nine to ten months and I actually went to the roughest floor called the gladiator floor mm. and I was there with you know Reggie Hicks yeah and uh, Reggie Hicks, who's on episode nine with his wife, so this was the same the same county jail floor. So that I, Reggie was in. So I went in there, and I had I actually had an argument with Reggie Hicks, and this guy was big at the time. He's still pretty big. And I'm like 15, 16 years old, so I'm like, okay, you think you're bad? So I hit him a couple times, and he just picked me up and wiped me all across the table, and told me, man, I don't want to hurt you. Go sit down. But uh, I mean, it was just, I had to keep that that edge on my shoulder to show yeah. that, hey, you know. And there was times that I got jumped on by two or three people. And that's that's like a custom. Once you go in the tank, yeah. you're gonna get right. clipped you're on. You get checked, tested, you everything. It. So you were there just waiting to to stand trial. I was waiting there to stand trial, and I wind up signing for forty years aggravated. Forty years aggravated, which means you had to do at least twenty of that. Right. Uh, well, I was under the one fourth law, ten of that. Okay, but I wind up doing more. Okay, so now you get transferred. You catch chain. Catch chain from uh, Harris County to uh, what, where'd you go first? The Beto one unit. You went straight to the Beto. You didn't go to Gurney or uh, I went to the diagnostics. And back then, you would just go for like you go to diagnostics for ten days. That's Bird. The and I think it's Bird. Bird or Boyd. Then you go to Goree okay. and get your ID and process and socialize one to two for 10 days. So it was like 10 days, 10 days. So you ended up Beto 1. And then I ended up landing on Beto 1. As a 17-year-old. As a 17-year-old. And Beto is not now what it is, what it was back then. No. Beto's, back Beto's had a little revival. And so Mike Barber goes in there a lot. Right. And, and I've been there to preach and share. And they have a huge faith-based dorm now. There wasn't any faith-based dorms back then. 
Um, and so, so what was life like as a as a seventeen year old inmate? Well, Beto was known at that time. There was uh, two units known as a Gladiator Farm back then, Ferguson and Beto, and that's where they stopped all the youngsters, all the people that had aggravated time. And at that time, they had turnkeys, and turnkeys were people that basically other inmates that turned the keys and ran a disciplinary process. And a lot of people don't realize that that's the way it used to be. And this was just back in, when did you go in? This was in 91. 91. So, I mean, that's 30 years ago, but that's not that long ago that inmates had keys to the cells. Right. And they would perform disciplinary duties. If you didn't turn out to work, they would drag you out of your bed and they would literally beat you. And there, I mean, it was just different things. And it was a different time in prison at that time. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I got jumped on by when you every, first got there by every race, yeah. white, Mexican, blacks. There was times that when um, I literally went with my ear bleeding, holding my jaw where I couldn't even eat. There was times when uh, I got into an altercation and I was knocked into an 18 day coma and basically told my aunt and my mom that, that in 60 days TDC would pull the plug, you know, and there was a, uh, I had heard a lot of things that some that I don't want to talk about, yeah. you know, in prison and just being young, white, and you know, but it was vulnerable. It's like walking into me being raw meat, walking into a pack of buzzards. Did you get asked to be in a gang? I was solicited by two gangs. One of them I kind of started getting into, and I was like, nah, this wasn't for me because at that time when they were like prospecting me. You know, I got jumped on, and that's basically what it led to. And I wound up going, getting shit from there after that happened, oh, uh, happened to the Estelle unit, and I wound up meeting my brother, who was incarcerated at the time, too. And we were both, we wound up being sellers. Wow. Yeah. We were doing good, and... Tell me, how that conversation go when, when y'all realized your brothers? Well, I mean, he was incarcerated before me. And I would come see him sometimes, uh, but uh, he, when we, it was. So when you got moved to the Estelle unit though, did you know he was there on that unit? Yeah. I, we, so you already knew. Okay. Yeah. He actually, when I went there, he actually got, came from Cofield to there on a hardship. But it was, uh, man, it was, it was emotional. And at times it was teeter totter because we would fight like brothers. And then. Because you were. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because we were. But now uh, what about his prison life? Was he involved in gangs? No, my brother was never involved in gangs, but my brother is a, like, uh, he's a, he's a baddie. He's, he's, yeah. he's, he, he, he'll fight in a minute and he's just, uh, or as for me, I'm more easygoing and social and, but he's, uh, my brother is, I love him to death. He, uh, he, uh, he mentored me in a lot of ways and I look up to him in a lot of things, you know, and there's just uh there's times in my life when you know i call him and i tell him hey bro i'm having problems and he yeah. can listen to me same way with my sister so let me ask you this daniel wow by the time you get to the estelle unit how long have you been in prison i had been in prison maybe 11 this was okay actually this was the championship for the rock 93 it was 1993 when so we just uh couple years yeah, before you got to this couple years, and I was still rambunctious. Did you have any, you know, I mean, you were in a coma, you were getting clicked on, you were getting beat up. Was there ever anything inside of you that just said, "Man, this is not worth it living here"? 
you know, and there was, I'm not gonna lie to you, there's a lot of times that I, I did want to give up, and there's a lot of times that, you know, I just uh, wanted to say, man, you know, why? I mean, you know, this is, you know, what, why am I going to this? And there's a lot of times that I question things, and uh, there was a lot of times that, that I just wanted to let go, but I mean, the inner side of me said, man, you can do this, get through this, get through this. And, um, you know, there was times when I did get into altercations and I got sliced on my neck at, at work fighting with a Hispanic guy. And I sat in solitary in confinement and we both got saved for a little while and I was like, you know, what led to this? And there's a, there's a lot of things that, you know, that, that gave me inner drive. Like, my, seeing my brother really helped me out a lot. Yeah. And then, so you've been in there a couple of years now. You get to see your brother. Uh, at, at some point, do you start trying to see if you know, there's anything prison has for you, like classes and programs, and and uh, if so, did you partic participate in any of them? And actually, that that was a, that's a good point that you said that because I had got so tired at once just living the prison life and doing the prison thing, just you know, and trying to be like everybody else, fit in, and trying to be you know that my brother talked me into getting an education, and so I got my GED. And once I got my GED, uh, I, across the room from the GED, there was a row of computers. And people were in there just, you know, working on the computers. And I was like, wow, you know, that looks cool. So I signed up for a computer class. And I wound up taking uh, business computer applications. And I made the honor roll in it. And I was so enthused by it that I became a teacher's aide while I was there. And I was I was helping people learn, you know, back then it was Windows 97 <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. And I was doing PowerPoint presentations in different classrooms, trying to get people to come take a, a, a business computer application trade. And uh, I think in 1999, they did a mass TDC movement. And I think this is like around one of the escapes that happened or something like that. Right. So I wound up going to another unit and separating with my brother and uh, that kind of cut me a little bit it's like you know taking someone you really love out of your life and I just um, fell into a slump and I started getting sucked back into the penitentiary because I didn't have that that, that class or you know that ambition to do yeah. anything what unit was that on that was I went to Hughes unit okay I went to the Hughes unit and uh, I worked at that time I, I was a unit painter but I didn't have the ambition to like uh, really do anything because I was going through a slump of losing my, you know, getting separated from my brother and uh, have not having anything inspirational in my life that I could really do to keep my mind busy and focused. And uh, so I was right back in the day when I was right back, you know, hustling, uh, blue contraband, uh, you know, whatever I could to survive. You know, I had a little family support, you know, which is really good. Well, let's talk about that. Okay. So, uh, family. Family is so important uh, to keep that family connection during prison, during a prison sentence. I know, you know, whenever I was in prison, my mom and dad came to see me every weekend up until I got moved to, to probably Lockhart, which was almost four hours away. And, and man, I, I, I appreciated the family connection. My mom would write me. She was working at a, a retirement center, and the very first Christmas I was in prison, I got 78 letters in one week. Wow. Or cards, Christmas cards. Wow. Uh, 
you know, so it was really neat to have that family connection. You know, my brother, uh, my brother came a few times. My sisters came a few times. What part of your family was there for you? How were they there for you? And how important was that to you? Well, uh, during the my incarceration, my aunt was there for me. My mother was there for me. And, you know, uh, my mother at that time, this is before she got dementia and Alzheimer's. She's in assisted living right now. Um, my aunt was there for me. My mother was there for me. My I had a, a sister, Jennifer. She would come see me, and she passed away, which was like one of the hardest things that I ever encountered that I had to go through in prison. Um, and they would correspond with me periodically because I know they have lives and everything. So, you know, and then I made this amazing woman. I just, uh, that at that time that my family brought up this lady, you know, this woman, and she was sitting in the background. And I was like, well, who's that? And uh, they said, you have a sister. And that was Melody. Mm -hmm. It was the first time I ever meeting her. And she was real quiet. And I think at that time she had a little son, Courtney. And, uh, it, uh, it was like, it touched me. It's like, oh, I have a sister. I mean, I'm, you know, a sister. And yeah. I'm like, wow, you know, I wanted to get to know her. And then at that time she was in a rebellious stage too, yeah. her rebellious stage. And uh, they're like, you know, that time they would like take caution, you know? And I was like, no, this is my sister. And I love my sister. So I got to know her and we started corresponding and she started to tell me about her life and her, 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 her struggles that she went through in life. And, and I was like, wow, man, this woman's amazing because she went through exactly what I went through. And she's battled what I battled. And then I, could, I watched her grow and progress and become this like, just this person that inspired me. And I was like, yeah. okay, Man, I can do this. Maybe I can. I can like you know. I could. Uh, it just gives me chills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just. Uh, so, at what point in in her journey did she get saved, come to know Christ, and where were you at in your journey in prison? She came before I did, and I was in a dark place. I was in, like I said, I was into uh, the penitentiary. I was into making being penitentiary rich yep. having soups and packs in my locker you know and everybody like come to me for something or and uh so now because well let's talk let's talk about that real quick okay. if they would come to you for something and you were soup rich how are you getting that were you were you trafficking trading were you smuggling things in i mean i don't want to get you in trouble but uh, you know i mean it's, it's over with now so i think the law the statute of limitations is over with. but uh i was actually at that time, they had banned tobacco, and I was getting tobacco in, and I was selling tobacco, and uh, I was also selling, uh, you know, marijuana, and I was, uh, you know, I, I don't do drugs, or you know, and I don't drink, uh, but I was selling marijuana, I was selling drugs, I was selling, I was getting watches in, any contraband, like anything, and one thing about the penitentiary, anything that resembles a free world goes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is in a, So let me ask you this, and you don't have to answer it. Does more contraband come in through visitors at visitation or through staff? Staff. Staff. My staff. And, and, and it's like, it's nothing that you could ever, because I've, I've met dirty majors, dirty wardens, and, and dirty sergeants, and it's like, and like the old saying goes, money makes the world go round. Now does that does that go both ways? If if an inmate has enough money, they can bribe a guard. But then does it go the other way too, where a guard wants something done from an inmate and he will extort him? 
Oh, um, it goes both ways, huh? Oh, so yeah. there's some extortion from the from the guards to the inmates as yeah. well. I've seen okay. people get really messed over and, and jacked up behind, you know, a guard. Somebody messing with a guard and then just make. Do you think that'll ever go away? No, no, never. I don't think it will either. No. So, all right, let's go back to Melody getting saved. How did how did you receive her change in, in her life? Like, were you like, oh, you're all Christian now? Well, or? she basically was. You know, don't get me wrong. My sister can get crunk when I get out of line, man. That's what keeps me in check. You know, she's uh, she she gets you know she gets crunk and uh, puts me in check, and she knows when I I need it. Um, but she just started growing as a person. She started uh, and I started seeing this. She started just building herself up, being responsible, and then pushing me. This happened actually. This happened. I, I, actually, this happened during my incarceration. That right. I, I was watching her grow. Gotcha. She was going from one yeah. person to another, yeah. and I was like, "Wow." So, where are you now? You see your your sister getting her life together. You're deep into the penitentiary. You know what happened in prison. I mean, I know you're saved now, but you you know you weren't always saved. No. When, when did it happen for you? What was the moment? Was it a was it a day? Was it a season? Was it a, a somebody said something, did something? What what happened? Well, it was 2015, and I remember this vividly. I was up for parole, and uh, they, the commissioner just did an interview with me, and I was so deep in the game. I was so uh, I was bringing in legal drugs, and I was tobacco, and I was. You didn't think you were getting out for a long time, anyway, no. so you weren't even worried about what that parole person said to you and actually I, I mean there's very limited time I'd ask my family for money or anything and I wanted to be more responsible because you know, I know they have family and kids and everything so I was like okay I'm gonna do this on my own I can hustle I can grind I can you know and people don't realize it's been a, the world and the penitentiary's game is no different it's just a small it's world it's true so, so parole I was up for parole and I see the commissioner and he asked me you know if I wanted to sign up for a program and I was like yeah so he said well, I'm gonna send you to a program so it's gonna be like 13 or 14 months. And I was like, well, anything to get out. So I was still in the game. And I was like, you know, I'm gonna back out of this game a little bit. And at that time I was going to different classes and I was part of different groups. And, you know, I was putting up a show that, you know, I'm this person, I'm this changed person, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready to get out. I'm, I'm, and, and I had my family full. I had the warden full, the parole board full. I had my little community full. You know, I had them thinking that, Okay, he's ready. Yeah, he's going to do good. But I was still peddling. And it caught up with me. And I wound up getting trapped. And everything taken away from me. All my property, my radio, my photos, my letters. And getting put into a cell with nothing but a bunk and a roll of toilet paper. And I was like, man, God, why? I'm, I'm, why, God? I mean, I'm going home. I mean, why Why are you doing this? You know? And I, and, and I was like questioning God, why? why and then one day this field minister which is another inmate but you know he goes to the program because my so evidently you got caught doing something yeah i got caught you got caught and you got busted you got thrown in solitary confinement ad seg organized crime also organized crime so uh so so now a field minister comes by and, and yeah and, and and one thing about seg is you don't see many people no you don't you no field minister ever came no. by to see me you see uh guards feed you shower and go back in your little cage and you know and what unit was this on what were this you this was on the styles you know, styles Beaumont, okay. texas and uh he came by and he just stopped and he looked in and i was like yeah what's up and he's like man i don't know why but god told me to just 
stop here and give you this. And he handed me a little Bible. I looked at him like, you got the wrong, I mean, you got the right still? <laughs> He's like, no, God. He said, here, read the book of Job. So I was like, all right, cool. So, you know, I was got bored, started reading it, and, and I saw how, you know, God took everything from Job. And uh, and I was questioning God just a day earlier why he did it, and a revelation just came to me. And God told me, man, you had the warden, your family, everybody fooled that you're ready, but you're not ready. You don't have me fooled. And he's like, when you're ready, and, and, it, and I felt the Spirit just telling me, when you're ready, I'll let you go. You know, and I was like, all right, what do I have to do? So I kept reading and I kept, and I started, you know, for one of the, I mean, there's, I pray when I get in trouble. I got pray when we I all have, do. We all pray when we get in trouble. I got that's, pray, that's I, you the know, easiest time to pray. Yeah, you know, and I pray, you know, when I got stabbed and I got prayed when, I, you know, when I get beat up or something that I work through it. But then I, this first time I just sat on my knees and, and I, and I prayed, you know, Lord, you know, I, I you know, help me guide me give me strength show me and he started opening up doors for me and people like people kept stop coming to stop and by the film minister stopped by like maybe two times a week and talked to me wow and, uh, and it was like okay this felt good and i started working out more and i started like doing a little stuff positive reading positive books and my sister started you know and she was disappointing me at the time and she she was mad she put me on freeze you know, and there's no doubt that I know that she never stopped loving me, but, you know, me just ruining it at times. Like, I'm okay, I'm wasting my time. But all of a sudden, my case gets, I, I filed to get my case appealed, and it gets overturned. And they, they called me in the classification and they said, hey, look, we overturned your case. We want you to go up there, no BS. We're giving, you know, this and this and that. Because they really had no evidence against me, but... They uh, overturned my case and we put me back out there. And I think I signed up for different classes and I started being more involved in, in I signed up for Toastmasters. I signed up for uh, Bridges of Life. I signed up for uh, 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 Life Skills, the mentorship program, and just trying to get myself involved yeah. and, 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 you know, a different spirit, being around different people. So good. So you began to work on your personal development. Yeah, and I, not only that is 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 if you sit in the day room, there's gonna be something to get into. If you go to church, there's gonna be something great to get into. You know, and prison is the only place where you may be lonely, but you're never alone. So there's all different spirits lurking around, and you choose which one to grab a hold of. That's good. You know, and if you want to grab a hold of a bad spirit, you're gonna be in a bad place. All right, so that was 2015, and you're doing good. You're working on yourself. You're working on your relationship with God. At some point, you get called in for parole again. And now you got denied parole how many times? 18, oh, 19? Uh, 18, 17 or 18 times yeah. I, I was denied for parole. Um, and 2019, I think I come up for parole, and I started getting temptations to get back in the game. People just they put me in the cell like one of the biggest like contraband dealers and I'm like oh and I prayed I said God please man God will you uh, you know help me fight this and I had a good job I was a unit cook and uh so and I, and I prayed about it and then they called me on the chain they're shipping me to a, a 
minimum security farm. I've never been on a minimum security farm. So you, so, but I mean, did, at that point, did you know you made parole? No, at this point, I didn't know. I, I had just seen the commissioner. And saw I, the commissioner. I, I saw the commissioner, and I'm like, you know, getting tempted because style is, is a corrupt unit. Yep. I mean, and yep. uh, and people don't know about style. It's been all over the news. So you get shipped to another unit. I get shipped to another unit, T, Texas, the Boyd unit, and I get I become an ODR cook, and uh, it's like a minimum security farm. It's like yeah, a college campus, lot a college campus. And I'm like, I, once I step off the bus and I see how open it is, I'm like. You know, I'm, I'm, you got the right Lindsay, you got the right Daniel. Now, why did you get you shipped know? there? Because of program or, or did you just got a random shipped? ship? Okay. A random ship. Right. So, so what happened at that unit? I went to that unit and uh, I was working in ODR. One day I come home from work and I always call my sister. I was like, uh, hey sis, what's up? And uh, I'll never forget this phone call. This thing about it. And I, just, uh, I said, hey sis, what's up? And she said, you made it. And I'm like, she said, you made what? I just made what? And she's like, you made parole, you're coming home. And I just, I I, I, I just sat down and, and, and thought of it. I was like, quit playing with me. You know, you're kidding, right? And she's like, yeah, and I could hear the tears. I could hear the tears in her eyes. And she was, it was, it was finally, it was finally coming to fruition. But in my mind being locked up so long, it was like, uh, I didn't believe it. Yeah. I didn't, it, 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 they said, well, I have to go to a six month program. So I was like, okay, I mean, cool. I'll go to a six month program. I went to a six month program. It's in, uh, it's the, uh, the guest unit. The guest unit. Yeah. And it, what that is, is, um, it's a place where it's, uh, for substance abuse and reacclimation to back to society. And when I get there, uh, get there during the middle of a pandemic and everything shut down and they said man just because the pandemic you know you know it's going to change your day to going home so i'm like all right so we made maybe had like two or three groups and i'm like okay this is supposed to teach me how to custom to the world this is supposed to teach me how to adjust to the world but it wasn't teaching me nothing so I literally had a hunger and go out and research for myself, writing down different jobs and, and take this time when I get to get you. Okay, all right, let's 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 pause. Right. Okay, because you're saying something that is very important that a lot of people don't realize, and that some people in TDCJ um, say otherwise about this program, these programs. Showgram. Uh, Showgram. I like that. Um, you know, I, I've been out 14 and a half years and I took some classes called Life Skills and Changes and they were a joke. They were, other than me building a personal relationship with the teachers of those classes and they were cool people, the classes didn't do anything. But these classes now, we're talking 14 years after I, I got out of prison, they're supposed to be preparing you. You said they're supposed to be, you were under the impression that you were gonna be prepared to, re, to reintegrate successfully to society, prepare you for out here. And you, but you said that, that they didn't. You know, a lot of people were trying to get TDCJ to let these people that were inside the programs already, they've already made parole and they're in the middle of programs, right. to let them go, let them make parole, release them, and finish the program on the outside. Right. And TDCJ stood behind these programs like it was a matter of life and death. And they said, no, these programs have to be finished. They are, they are the most important part 
of an inmate's reintegration to society. And when I'm reading those articles and those quotes from these guys, I'm just thinking, no, they're not. They are, they're not even helpful in a practical way. You know, now I sat down with some Wyndham School District people, and they're really trying to make the school part, you know, the, the part that they offer, not necessarily the the programs. That, that's not those those particular programs aren't Wyndham School District, but but they're they're doing their best to make sure their Wyndham School School District curriculum does prepare people for the outside and they're new new superintendents so they're making some changes it's a, it's important for people to understand that these programs that they make you take before you get out of prison are are literally almost useless they're not taught they don't have the manpower to teach like getting out i didn't know how to apply for food stamps i didn't know how to apply for uh get my birth certificate i didn't know how to apply to get my social security card and the thing about that is you know once i get to the gist unit and I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I'm gonna go to my sister's house, and uh, you know she's gonna help me, and my family's gonna help me. And, and, and like, parole just jumped in and said, "Hey, we got news for you. You're not going back to Harris County." Wow. You know, and it's like and it crushed me. It's like what? It's like no, you have a stipulation where you're not going to your family members because we don't want you where you you had, you had your crime. And in the rules, some of the rules of parole, it says. They want you to probe back to where the crime happened. But you're telling me no. So I'm like, okay, where am I gonna go? Where else can I go? So I started looking for these halfway houses and I wrote literally 78 halfway houses. 78. 78 wow. halfway houses. And I got response like from three of them. And then when the counselor at this program told me to write these halfway houses, she didn't tell me that they had restrictions. Some of them aggravated charges, some don't. Some set monitors and some don't. She just gave me a list and said, write these halfway houses and find one. And before you need to find one before the fifth month into your program, you know, they'll accept you. So I'm like, oh man. So I wrote and I re received these, you know, these letters and I wrote them back, got applications, filled them back. And then the pandemic hit and I never heard back from them. And I pray about it. And I'm like, I'm complaining to my sister about it too. And um, I literally I get a halfway house, uh, it's interested Freeman House and then uh, you know I've heard about you so I wrote you a letter and uh, I talked to my sister about it and I was like man you know you see me the schedule and I'm like okay this sounds cool and then I started asking around about it and I was like man Jay Dan's an awesome person you know and he, he has he runs a program he does this and that it's like all right literally when my sister was fixing to pay the deposit on the Freeman House Literally, the guy didn't know, you know, how to do the deposit, and you called her. Yeah, I remember her. I remember her talking to me, right. saying I was just about to. And, and literally, we talked. I talked with your sister. I don't know how long it was. I think it was over an hour. Right. Uh, I'd like to dab back on the subject of, of the reiteration thing, uh, if I can. Um, TDC sends these people to these uh, these programs, these six month programs. And majority of them, okay, I, I caught a bus of 15. I think 11 of them had discharge dates either a month before the six months program or a month or two months before, you know, they literally yeah. discharge their sentence. And what it is is, that, you know, they get paid a certain amount of money for so many people to go to the program. And there's actually like people down there that are up for parole that need programs like this. But there's, they're, they're getting back to the program is a, 
you know, we did a mock interview, job interview one time. Other than that, this like, you know, it helped us. It didn't help me. Uh, they didn't tell me how I should budget my money, open up a checking account, get my birth certificate, my social security check, where I should apply for identification. It didn't tell me um, basically anything that I, when I got out that I needed to know. They didn't. They didn't do what their their class implies that they're supposed to do. Exactly. And that's you know, and that's typical of of. Uh, that's typical of the system. A right. lot of people think that the system does really good because they have these programs, but what these people don't know is these programs uh, are not really programs. They're just Showgrams. pats on the back and say, this is what we do. I got to talk with you one day uh, yeah, yeah. on a three-way call. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, but I also remember the day that I sent, we, we were just waiting for your release date. Oh, man. And it seemed like it was taking forever, and so finally, and I was checking. Whenever I know somebody's yeah. up for a release date, I, I check every single day. And so right. finally that day, I remember I was at a Callaway's Nursery in North Dallas buying some flowers, and I text your sister. And she didn't know what who she didn't look down at the phone to see who it was. She just saw the message, and so she didn't. I said I said something like, "He made it," you know, he's got a date or something. Yeah. And she did. She didn't really. She didn't really focus on who it was coming from and what it was talking about at yeah. first. She she admits. And then I was I texted her again and and then we talked and she her voice was so she was so crazy happy you. that you were coming home and uh, and I was too man I was I was you know so that first day out oh man well I mean there was complications oh yeah yeah I, I got released because you're on ankle monitor well that's that was a complication on uh, June thirtieth I was set to be released and because of the pandemic you no longer go to another laws unit and get released you get released right at the unit so and you get released like at like eight o'clock in the morning eight thirty. well i was the last one to get released and i go out there and this monitor thing that they're putting on me is not working so this guy is getting the monitor walking out walking out and it's getting almost like one o'clock wow i'm sitting in this waiting room and your family, Melody, and then family had to come sit, in to go to the restroom. Yeah, they had to come in. I saw them to the window, and I waved at them, and I just, ah, uh, oh, man, it was uh, just seeing them. It, 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 it was, it was amazing. The guard kept coming in. Man, I don't know what's wrong. I mean, we're gonna get it straight. Just calm down. I was like, well, I'm not staying here another night. <laughs> you know, Texas released me, and it's it's his document. I'm not staying here another night. I'll sleep in the parking lot. But uh, and and it was complication. And finally, you know, I got to meet my family. They couldn't. Uh, they couldn't get out of the car because I had to get in the car and I loaded up the car and uh, just being able to hug my family and uh, I think there was like, I think that my sister rented a nice truck so I think she got paid penalties because we left it wet with tears. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in, in, in so that ride home, man. What were what were what was going on in your heart and your head, man? It was uh, being free to see the side of the road, and to sit there and talk to my family, and uh, you called. We Facetimed. Yeah, yeah we Facetimed it. Uh, it was uh, it was just no shackles, no chains, being able to move around. It just it was amazing. It was amazing, and uh, it just uh, it was something that really touched me, and and I, I, to this day. My sister, she told me, she said, well, I FaceTime her after work. And she said, man, it's amazing to see the trees move behind you because you're finally free. She said, I still can't believe it. And my niece told me one time that really touched me. She said, uh, 
Uncle Danny, she said, you know, they told me you would never get out of prison and I prayed for you every day. And finally you're coming home and it's, that, that touched me too. It's just being able to hug my family, man, and talk, talk to them. It's, uh, it's still. That niece, is that Samantha? Yes. The one that comes to church with you? Yeah. Yeah. The one that comes to church. So you get to Forgiven Felons. Here we are. I get to forgive. What, what 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 did you think about us? I know you said you heard things about us, how great we were, but did we measure up? Have we measured up to that? And, oh. and how has our how has forgiven felons impacted you and your family? Man, I'm not gonna lie. I don't. I think I'd probably have a nervous breakdown and be crazy if I didn't have y'all. Because I came here, I was kind of nervous. I met the housemates, and they like they swore me like brother. And if I had any questions. And I was afraid to ask them. It was like they knew. They were like, you know, can I help you with something? Or, and uh, you know, I came out of prison without a birth certificate, social security card, and they helped me get online and get all this and, you know, get everything. My family helped me too. And it was, it's like, you know, everything. It's like we all pitch in. We're brothers here, and we all help each other. And, you know, reach in on 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 Mondays. You know, where you could reflect on your week and, and keep your spirit know where you're at spiritually in the church and and going to church you know uh i've never been to a, a church so big and so uh spiritual and the music and the message and uh actually you know in meeting i have a, a problem of like meeting people and I've, I've talked with you know the brothers that have done time and they went to it too so just to, to climb through that and you know whenever i have a problem to call you you know, hey, you know, this is what I'm going. What through. are some challenges you face? You mentioned you got out without a birth certificate, social security card, all that. They're they're supposed to reentry is supposed to be helping you get that, right? And and they didn't do that part. And I know it was probably a little bit slower for them too because of the pandemic. But right. uh, so, what are some challenges you face you know, like within the first month you've been out? The challenges I face, I'm on a GPS monitor, and um, what does that keep you from doing? I I literally can't walk to the garage, walk to the front yard. I can't empty the trash. Um, I'm, you know, I have a perimeter and uh, I can't go to the store. I, you know, I have to make a schedule three weeks, uh, two weeks prior. I have to make a schedule for two weeks and I don't even know what I'm gonna do one week prior right. to two weeks. So you have to write a schedule out for two weeks and you have to uh, somehow telepathically know uh, all the spontaneous interviews appointments that you have to you have to make you have to somehow know that they're just going to happen and you have to write those on your schedule exactly. so how hard is it to communicate uh like when you first got out whether you had an interview uh, an orientation or whether you were trying to go set up a bank and you know they're only doing appointment only so right you know they can only give you certain appointments but if you made your schedule out for the week and the bank wants you to meet you before that week you know what right. do they say i'm out of there it's like you know there's only emergencies like medical does that feel fair? Honestly, I'm not gonna lie. It keeps me in check because I know there's things out there that I want to do that I shouldn't do, or people are maybe not getting to know people that. But are you tempted right now to go back to your old ways? I mean, or I mean, is the ankle monitor keeping you saved and being a Christian and keeping you from going out and doing drugs and drinking and selling drugs, or is it keeping you from being a more productive well, citizen? I mean, the anchor monitors I do, I'm doing that myself. Uh, the anchor monitor actually, it keeps me from, because, you know, I'm free. 
I'm, I, hey, there's 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 streets out there, trees, trails, stuff like out there that I do want to go see. I mean, there's places, uh, Six Flags, uh, museums or something. There's places I so do you can't go, go. You can't go do anything recreational. You can't go eat at a restaurant. You can't. I can't even exercise in the garage. You can't even stop. You know, from church, you got in trouble because your 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 niece was right bringing you home from church, and and y'all went to Walmart, and there's a Taco Bell right by the Walmart in the parking lot. In yeah. the parking lot, of, and you and you drove through, Drive through. and you got you got rolled up for that. I got rolled up. Um, that that to me just doesn't seem like it's it's something that is making people a better person. But uh, we could talk about that on another episode. Right. Tell me some other ways forgiving felons has impacted your life and your family. Uh, actually, forgiving felons has connected me with my family. You know, and it's, it's like it's open house. They can come see me whenever they want. Uh, and they've actually followed your testimony and uh, really picked me up. And like my aunt, when she comes saw me, she was like nervous, like uh, halfway house, uh, criminals and stuff like that. But when she left, she left with a new spirit. She started. You gave her a sheriff badge. She started arresting spirits. <laughs> she to this day, when I get, you know, say arrest that spirit. But it, you know, and it, it's it, it. Seeing that is like I broke a chain of my past, but now I'm putting new links in my chain. They're gold. That are just nice. you know. They're just not you know. And it helps me to go through you know every day. It helps me know that you know I have people there to fall back on and if I need something that you know hey man they're there for me they got my back this world and society and even some Christians are gonna hold your past over your head and that's what do you what do you have to say to the people society the world um, anybody who tries to say well he's just a convicted felon I've actually been through that I've met people at work, and when I share my testimony with them, some of them shun away. And just and I've noticed they avoid me, but I don't make it. You know, I forgive them. But uh, you know, we all have mistakes of our past. We've all done something, and uh, you know, we have to live with that forever. And God gives forgiveness. And there's one thing that you know, when I went to a confession one time, that I asked the preacher, I said, Hey, you know, I just want to know if the person forgives me that got armed. And he said, if you ask God forgiveness, he forgives you. He said, the problem is, Daniel, you haven't forgiven yourself. And I broke down in tears because I walked around with so much stuff that I haven't forgiven myself for. Yeah. And there's so many people that walk around without forgiving themselves that they take it out on other people. Yeah. And we all have a past and we've done something. And, you know, it's so only... So forgiving yourself is, is, a, is an important part of, of you not letting your, your past hold, you know, hold you hostage. Right, and, and, and I had to forgive myself because, like I said, I was in a dark place in prison, and I was in there because I didn't forgive myself, yeah. and I was in there because I carried that garbage around me, and when you carry it, it's like a cancer to eat on you and grow, yeah. so when you meet somebody else, you pass that cancer on to them, and they pass that on to something else. I have beautiful nieces and nephews, and I never in life want to pass no anger or hate or anything onto them. I want them to look at their uncle and say, man, he overcame. He broke chains and he's doing great. Tell and me, I, tell me one short-term goal, and then tell me where you want to be in five years. My short-term goal <laughs> right now is to get my license. All right. Um, but in five years, I honestly want to start a program to mentor to juvenile youth, 
give my testimony and maybe create something like forgiving felons or you know reconnecting them yeah. and letting people know that you know just because you're from a broken home you don't have to be broken and uh you know going back to prisons and and, and probably you know being within this ministry too and one thing that i can say that i'm really proud of i made it six months ago when i left and i've been out going on three months i've accomplished everything on that six months ago except for my driver's license and we're gonna take care of that september 11th september right y'all be praying for daniel september 11th amen amen so um we also have north texas giving day coming up oh and this yes, is sir. where this is where um all the big philanthropic foundations in North Texas try to bring awareness to all the smaller, uh, all the nonprofits in Texas, and we try to give. So uh, uh, they can go to NorthTexasGivingDay.org/slash/forgivenfelons, and when they go to our website on North Texas Giving Day platform, they'll see all these individual little fundraisers. I'm on there, uh, and you have one on there. So yes, tell people in the public in general why you feel it would be important for them to give to our ministry? Well, not, you know, our ministry is, is developed really to help people that have done 20 plus years, 30 plus years, they've been incarcerated and to make a change because there's people coming out here that they can't acclimate and don't know what to do and have nowhere to go. And, and when they come here, they have people that have their back and there's stuff that, that you know, that we need help for such as, we getting need, gas. We need, to go to two, uh, we need two uh, new refrigerators. Refrigerators. Right? Yeah, we we have refrigerators. two refrigerators going out. Um, but not only that, it goes to other positive things that we do. Like you know, they, you know, this place. I haven't done it yet, but ministering to prisons and yeah. offenders. Uh, and then we got the know, resource center coming up, which is going to be a huge undertaking. We need lots of money for that. For capital, it's going to have welding right. and some automotive classes and uh, financial literacy classes and a lot of. We're going to be able to. Uh, do what you've already said we've done for you on a larger scale, not just for the people in our houses, but for everybody. Right. You know, if you have a friend coming out of prison that maybe he paroled to his family, but needs help, right. you know, we're going to be there to help him too. And exactly. So, so uh, well, Daniel, man, I love you, man. I love I'm so you glad I've met you and your family. Y'all mean the world to me. Uh, you are why we exist. Man, thank you, man. Do you know that? I could have done without you. So thank you for, for giving your heart to the Lord one day. Thank you for not giving up on your Every life. Every day. Thank you for not giving up on your life. And thank you for, for allowing us to be a part of your journey. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, man. Okay, this was a very fun episode, beginning with Jessalyn's part at the beginning. I, I had a blast recording all that with her. There are a lot of outtakes that didn't make the cut that were just hilarious she had me rolling but anyway so we'll, we'll get to more of that in a little bit i want to talk about daniel's testimony we could have actually talked for three hours just about his time in prison what god's done for him since then and but i want to i want to stress a few things first of all the family connection even though the sometimes the family didn't necessarily you know, appreciate him, even in his wilder, younger days, they kept passing him around, sending him off to the next person in the family. You know, you heard us talking about that, and I, I felt like that would be hard for him, but, you know, I guess he I guess he was at least mature enough to know that, that he was part of the problem, but 
I like what he said about being able to separate who is family and who are relatives. Man, that, you know, that was, um, man, that hit hard. You know, that kind of reminded me of the, the, the Bible verse, the passage in Mark chapter 5 where Jesus was sharing at the house with all his spiritual relatives and a disciple came and said, hey, Jesus, your mother and, and brothers are at the door. And he said, who, who is my mother and my brother and my sister? Then he pointed to the people that were with him and said, whoever does the will of God is my mother, brother, and sisters. And I thought about that when Daniel said that, you know, he, he kind of separates who's, who's actually family and who's relatives. I thought that was really neat. But, you know, even a sister he didn't know was willing to come and connect with him to the point of personal visitation. And I don't know if you could tell, but he was he, he started he started to break down during that part. And that meant a lot to him. And it was it was a very special moment for him to know that somebody he didn't even know who maybe just started out as a relative now has become family. Melody has just been his biggest cheerleader. And she has her own awesome, awesome story of salvation, redemption. It's incredible. I hope maybe one day we get her on here too. But she will be on a little short clip talking about what forgiven felons means to her and her family. But the family connection is important. It's a lifeline. You know, if you have somebody in prison, if you have a loved one in prison, or if you have a heart to just write people in prison, man, mail call is 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 the best thing going right now. So if you can correspond with anybody in prison, whether they're your own family or whether they're part of your spiritual family, maybe, uh, to, it, this would be a good time. You know, he talked about, Daniel also talked about how true, the, the, the truth about the programs, especially the parole, once you make parole and they make you take these classes. Now, this is not, we're not talking about Wyndham School District and the, and the school classes they have. They are actually getting a huge upgrade with the new superintendent who we're going to have on here in a couple of weeks. They're actually getting a new upgrade, but we're not talking about those those programs. We're not talking about school and college and all that. We're talking about the program they put together. They pay an outside source to come in and supposedly, quote, unquote, get these people ready, get these men ready for parole on the outside. And, you know, even – at one point, they did start trying to get these guys their birth certificate and ID, but they weren't necessarily showing them how to do it. They were just doing it for them. So when Corona hit, now all of a sudden they weren't able to do it for them anymore. And now these guys are getting out, guys like Daniel, you know, has been locked up 32 years. He hasn't been told where to go for anything. And that's why our ministries, you know, are good to have. But you know, he called the program that he had to take and complete before he came out. He called it a showgram instead of a program. I thought that was funny and great, you know, because we had a, one of our own uh, forgiven felons, friends, went through an FI6 DWI program, and I talked to him on the phone while he was in prison, and he said the same thing. He said, this is this is not that great of a class. It doesn't, it doesn't really do anything. And so these programs that these people – you know, these these elect these officials for TDCJ, when everybody was saying, hey, man, these guys already made parole. Can you just let them out without the program? Let them do it out here. They kept saying that, no, these programs are very integral part before they get out. And they're not really. They don't prepare you for anything. So 
I just want everybody to know that, you know, we're not – there's some good things. Daniel talks about the programs, some of the classes and some of the, the faith-based programs. They're great. But the reality of it and the rehabilitative part of it, you know, the prison lacks still. Uh, Daniel also talked a little bit about the violence that he suffered in prison. He couldn't talk about it all. He didn't want to, t- he didn't want to tell everything because some of it's hard to swallow. And it was hard for me to swallow when I, when I was listening to him the first time. But he didn't get to share it all. He didn't want to, and I, and I don't blame him. But there, violence happens in prison. And, you know, he at first I thought he was the one that committed the murder, but I, for, I didn't know that he was in there for the party law. And if you don't know what the party law is, it's really a ridiculous, a ridiculous law. And, I mean, it, it's basically based on if somebody commits a murder, everybody who's with him, around him, or even in the car waiting for them uh, gets the same charge. You know, we had a former resident, Brian Mosier, who was convicted on capital murder. He and a buddy robbed a hotel, and Brian left the hotel, and he thought his buddy was right behind him. But his buddy was inside and pulled the trigger and killed someone. And so when Brian saw him later, he saw blood all over him. He goes, hey, what's what's why, what's what's the deal? And then he saw the news that the guy got killed, and he's like, what did you do? You know, but, but because Brian committed the robbery with him, he got also charged with the capital murder. And Daniel's case is kind of the same way. and But it's basically says, it, it's Texas Penal Code uh, 701A provides that a person is criminally responsible as a party to an offense if the offense is committed by his own conduct, by the conduct of another for which he is criminally responsible, or both. Each party to an offense may be charged with the commission of the offense. And, and you know, that's, uh, man, and they, they talk about the Texas 7. Uh, they they all, all, you know, there was one guy, Patrick Murphy, who was out in the car while the other six were inside that store in Irving in 2000 when they killed that guy, Aubrey, the police officer, Aubrey. And they charged all of them with capital murder. And I think six, six, four or six of the eight have, uh, have been put to death. And Patrick Murphy and one of the guys is still just waiting you know, California even even greatly reduced the scope of their party law. It's not even as bad as Texas. But anyway, uh, I know Representative Carl Sherman, who was on the show not too long ago, um, said that he, he's trying to change some of those things. And that's one of the laws that really need to be changed. So, um, listen, you guys won't hear this till after he takes his test so pray retroactively he's taking his test this morning friday september 11th at 10 30 but listen daniel daniel is is our why daniel's the reason we exist michael katermos spent 25 years joe cortez 24 years chris aguilar 22 years Chris Ramirez, 15 years. These guys are our why, why we exist, why we do what we do. But it's also our why of why we need the Resource Center. Because while we want to help our guys, you know, better as well, we can have a a personal relationship with them now, but we can't help others. You know, we want to help other people at other transitional houses. We want to help people who parole home. 
that maybe need a resource center like ours to start a trade, start a vocation, get financial literacy, job readiness, everything they need, some food, some clothes, some hygiene at this, at this place. Some soft skills, computer skills, and hard skills. Construction, maybe, um, auto mechanics, paint and body, and welding. So this is the reason Daniel and others, like there's lots of other Daniels out there that don't come through forgiven felons that we'd like to help too. So this is the reason we are raising money. And we really, um, we really want to raise $50,000 this year. So uh, we feel like that would put a good down payment on some, uh, on some forward progress. So early giving, please pray with us because North Texas Giving Day is six days away, September 17th, all day, 6 a.m. to midnight. And pray with us on that day and join us if you can. Early giving has already started. Go to NorthTexasGivingDay.org forward slash forgiven felons. That's our North Texas Giving Day page. We have a dollar for dollar match up to $3,000 from Patriot Delivery, uh, the company I'm a chaplain at. And so that you can give towards that on any platform. It does not matter. You can give on straight on our website, forgivenfelons.org. Um, and remember, all throughout the day, we get included in drawings every hour if we have a donation to Forgiven Felons through the North Texas Giving Day site. So, uh, like I said, the dollar for dollar match program up to three thousand can be given on any platform. Uh, so, but but you're okay to give on the website as well. Cash app dollar sign Forgiven Felons. You can also text RC RC twenty twenty to four four three two one to give as well. That's RC. That stands for Resource Center. 2020, that's the year we're in, and text RC2020 to 44321 to give as well. Hey, listen, thank you for listening. It's been a great, um, it's been a great interview. We've had some fun with Jessa, and uh, we've been, our hearts been touched by Daniel, and we thank God for his testimony, his story, but we also thank him and his family uh, for allowing us to be a part of their journey. So. We'll see you on the next episode. We're celebrating uh, Addiction Recovery Month by having on the ladies from Anticipate Joy. They are a virtual um, virtual counseling platform, and the company is called Anticipate Joy. Look them up. We can't wait to have them on there, and they're going to talk about all kinds of counseling they offer. But they were also counselors in federal prison, so that's going to be fun. All right, we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Background Check Podcast brought to you by Forgiven Felons, helping people with a past realize their future. For more information, please visit ForgivenFelons.org. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and please don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss the latest episode. I'm J.D. Gum, and this has been Background Check.